0: Welcome to Raising a Healthy Family Podcast. I am your host, Natalie Schwartz. Today, I have on Lauren Lentz. She is the creator of the I'm Sorry We're Friends Instagram account. She's a dear friend of mine, and today we really... This episode I feel like is truly for everyone. If you know somebody who's experienced loss loss of a husband, or a wife, or a partner, or somebody who is really close to you this is a great episode to know how to support them and where they're coming from. And if you are currently experiencing loss yourself, this episode is here to remind you that you are not alone and that it does get easier with time even through the most painful experience and the most painful parts of it, we really go all over this place and Lauren really dives deep in, shares her story, how she lost her husband Kevin and they have a little boy Lawson together and I just admire her so much. She just is the kindest and sweetest and most just loving human being, and I feel so privileged to share this space with her in this episode. So I, without further ado, let's get right into it. All right. I'm so excited, Lauren, to have you on the podcast today. I wanted to give the audience just a brief history of sort of how we know each other and share in this commonality of grief. Um, So you and I went to high school together and gosh, which feels like a million years ago.
1: It really does.
0: (laughs) Um, But I ended up dating one of your really good friends, Chris, who – ended up passing away. And it was about 13 years ago now, which seems so insane to me. Um, But I know, you know, years later, you ended up losing your husband. And grief is just this violent pain that nobody prepares you for. There's nobody who can prepare you for losing somebody. Um, And I really wanted to have you on the podcast because I think that you do such a beautiful job at normalizing grief. Um, I know for me and my experience, you know, you people allow you to be sad and grief for about a week and then they sort of move on with their lives and then you're still stuck in it and people are uncomfortable with that. And, um, you know, I I think that, too, I wish that I had had the amazing community of women that you have built and cultivated um, for people who have lost their spouse or their partner. I dealt with things in a very different way. Granted, I was 21. and um, But I, you know, I, I spent years numbing out the pain with different things and just sort of spiraling and I just think that for any woman who's listening who's experienced the loss of, you know, their spouse or a partner that having this conversation is so important because it allows people to feel their grief and it allows them to find hope in what comes after which can feel impossible Absolutely. um in the moment. So I would just love for you to share your story on how you and Kevin met. You know, you can touch on how he passed and just sort of like what your initial thoughts were when he passed and how you were gonna continue through the life you two had built.
1: Yeah. So oh my goodness. Kevin and I met In 2010, I am from San Diego, as you well know, um, Mm -hmm. and I had lived in Santa Barbara for about two and a half years and I moved home and I was kind of like going through this you know, situation where I was like, what do I want to do with my life? And do I want to stay single? Or do I want to date someone? And yeah. a good friend of mine was like, I have this friend and he was with someone for six years. And I'm like, er, no, okay. <laughs> like no, thank you. I don't want to deal with that baggage. And so yeah. kind of went on my merry way. And then maybe a few weeks later, same, same lady. She was like, Hey, meet me for happy hour. So I met my girlfriend, Jen for happy hour. And she was married at the time. And she was like, do you mind if Corey comes? I'm like, yep, no problem. So Corey shows up and lo and behold, so does Kevin. And I just looked at her and I was like, Oh my goodness, you guys are so sneaky. But, um, I was instantly drawn to him. He had this beautiful smile. He wasn't my quote unquote type. And I had told <laughs> him and I'm like, I don't know, like he's got this gorgeous smile and he right off the bat was super funny, but I don't know how I'm feeling. And we probably just, you know, remain friends for like a month or so. Mm-hmm. And then, um, kind of just slowly developed this relationship. And we went to a beer festival one night and Kevin had a couple beers and all of a sudden he kissed me and was like, I did this backwards, but um, probably should have asked you for your number and taken you out on a date. But uh, (laughs) here we are. So I feel like the rest is history. That was 2010. And we got married in 2016 had our son Lawson in 2018 and then um Kevin had taken up road biking. He was a cyclist. My dad had introduced him into that world and mountain biking. Kevin grew up dirt biking with his dad and so when he met my dad, my dad's like, "Oh, we have to get you on a mountain bike. You would have so much fun." So Early on to us dating, he just kind of became a monster and just loved it, enjoyed it so much. And then in 2015, I believe he was asked to be on a mountain bike race team. And so when we had Lawson in 2018, he had kind of taken some time off and he wasn't really racing. And in the beginning of 2019, had started asking, you know, would it be okay if he got back into it? He really missed it. He missed his his buddies and and mm-hmm. just wanted to get back into racing. So He, um, and that might've even been like more towards the summer of 2019 because, uh, the season was coming up. It was November of 2019. I had, I was a teacher at the time. I had just gotten off for our Thanksgiving break and it was a Saturday morning and Kevin had asked to ride with some of his teammates. And so he left with our friend Mark from our house, um, to ride at a location called Daily Ranch, which is an escondido, which was about as the crow flies, just a few miles from our home in Vista. But when you yeah. ride your bike, it definitely takes, you know, 15. Well, actually, no, driving probably takes you 15. So it probably takes you half an hour to an hour to ride out there. But Kev loved to just get that extra exercise in. So he and our friend Mark. Um, road from our home. And at the time I was in my master's program, finishing up my master's in educational administration. And I was like three weeks out from getting my master's. So my mom was coming to watch Lawson so that I could start finishing up my thesis. And um, Kevin said he was going to be home from the ride around 12. And so I had text him around 11, 1130 that I was going to be late, I needed to wrap up my thesis and just get some things done. And I didn't hear from him. So I was feeling a little agitated, because he was definitely known to be one of the guys that would come home late, because he grabbed a beer with his his guys, or, Mm -hmm. you know, they did like an extra little bit of extra credit ride or whatever it may be. And so
0: yeah,
1: um, I decided to pack my stuff up, head home, give my mom a break. And Kevin and I had GPS on one another because he used to ride at night um, from his work home. And, you know, we like to keep track of each other, especially at night time. And so I, I checked in and I'm like, oh, gosh, like he's still in Escondido. This is so obnoxious. Like, who does he know? Because when I looked at the GPS, it said that he was on a road called La Honda Drive. And it wasn't actually in the mountains anymore. It was like in a almost like a housing area. And so yeah. I figured they wrapped up the ride and had like run into a friend and, you know, were just chatting it up. And so I grabbed Lawson, went to Target, came back. It was like 1.30, still nothing from him, text him again, nothing. And then by like 2, 2.30, I was like, okay, this is, this is weird. This is not right. Um, looked at his GPS, was still in the exact same location. So I started thinking at the time um, I didn't have Mark's phone number who he had written out there with. And so I was like, who has Mark's number? So I'm calling people and everyone's like, it's okay. You know, Kev, he's probably just met some new friends, whatever. And so I get Mark's phone number and I call him and he wasn't expecting it to be me. Cause he did not have my phone number either. And mm-hmm. just went silent and said uh, I remember I was in the living room like just playing with Lawson and he said are you home with anyone and I just instantly knew in my heart Mm. and my gut like this is not good this is not a phone call saying you know Kev got hurt he's at the hospital head over there it was like Are you home? And, and mind you, Mark was a pastor. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, he knows exactly, you know, how to approach the stuff and, Mm -hmm. and what to say when something really hard is happening. And so I said, tell me Kevin's okay. He wouldn't tell me. And I hung up on him and I called my mom and my sister just screaming saying that they needed to come over to the house that I knew Kevin was dead and so obviously they were so confused because they had no clue Mm -hmm. what was going on and it seemed like just hours which I'm sure were minutes and Mark was there and my parents were there and my sister and um, Mark sat us down and shared that they had finished the ride which was in a city park and they were Riding out of the city park and Kevin and one of his really good friends, Jill's decided they were going to stop. They were with like a group of seven guys and they wanted to stop to have a snack. And so they were all supposed to meet at the bottom of this hill on um, East Valley Parkway. And he, Kevin and Jill's were coming down after their snack down the Honda drive, which is just a two lane road, one, you know, lane up one lane down mm-hmm. and, Kev was coming around a blind curve when a man who we now know was um, high on methamphetamines and drunk on alcohol uh, decided to be driving on the wrong side of the road Mm. um, going 65 miles an hour in a 25 mile an hour zone and hit Kevin head on and killed him instantly. Mm. And so um, when Mark was telling us this story. My dad was just, oh gosh, everyone was just such a mess. But my dad and Kevin were like the best of friends. Mm-hmm. And my dad was just beside himself, just you know, shouting no, like this couldn't be possible. And everyone that knew Kevin just knew what an amazing rider he was too. So it's like you would just think that he could have gotten himself out of any situation. And he, mm-hmm. yeah, he was just so skilled on the bike. And so – it just seemed impossible. And, um, for me, that second that I heard that he was dead, it was like, I'm sure you can relate with Chris too, but, um, I just, it was such an out of body experience. Mm -hmm. I became numb. I Mm -hmm. literally felt like I was floating above myself. I felt like I couldn't feel my limbs. Um, but then I also went into like survival mode where I started calling people. Mm -hmm. Um, the first were Kevin's parents, which, Also was horrific and um, let them know what had happened. Mm -hmm. And so they came over and then we just started calling friends and, you know, you just have no idea. We hadn't been contacted by authorities because the person that had hit him fled the scene and he was also a felon and on parole. And so it became like a full blown crime scene and investigation. And so. Kevin's mom had to like go do her due diligence to even figure out like who needs to contact us, who's supposed to be calling us and yeah. Kevin was Kevin was killed at eleven fifty two in the morning, and we didn't have anyone arrive at our house until six o'clock at night, so if it weren't for Mark answering his phone, we probably would have had no idea,
0: yeah, yeah until i kn- i oh it's just heart wrenching to hear you tell that. Again, I mean, I know I've personally heard it, but yeah. I I do think that that you said something too, where it is like learning, you know, that somebody has passed. It is this weird out of body experience that nobody you can't explain. No, it, it's just so surreal, and um, oh, I just. Well, you
1: think you know how you're going to react to something like that? Yes. And when it actually happens, <laughs> it is—it's. It's, it's I mean, different for it sure. Is. It's so different, and you—you you may react in certain ways. Like I fell to the ground, you know, something that you mm-hmm. would think may happen, whatever. But this feeling of—I um, had explained to some of my widow sisters a while ago that I felt claustrophobic in my own body. Like I, I had to go outside because I was like, I feel like I need to tear out of my skin. Like this is the craziest thing. Like I feel like I can't breathe, you know? I mean, and I'm like to say that out loud is so weird. And then the girls, they were like, no, we totally understand. We totally get that. And it is something that if you don't experience it, just to hear someone say they want to crawl out of their skin is a very, um, unique thing to hear.
0: Yes, no, for sure. So what were, you know, after that sort of sets in and your it's that night or the next day or whatever? What are your initial thoughts on okay? how am I going to do this? How am I going to get through the life you built? And I know that that's such a weird question to ask because when you lose somebody like that, especially when it's sudden, like Mm -hmm. I know it's painful no matter what, but I know for you and I both, it was an accident where they died instantly at the Mm -hmm. scene. It was both of us. And uh, it's like you go numb in a way. Yes. But it's like something that you're just also, like you said, go into this sort of survival mode. And it's like, what were your thoughts? Like, okay, how are we going to do this? We have a child, like a house.
1: Right. Yeah. I, oh gosh. I feel like you never experienced such a duality of emotions until you have an experience like this. Right. So like I felt like there's no way I'm going to survive this.
0: Mm-hmm. I 100%. Like,
1: there's just no way. Like my heart's going to stop. Um, It's going to literally break in half. I was in the most pain I've ever been. And I remember telling people like, I would give birth over and over again. Like the pain mm-hmm. is just something that you really can't explain. However, and then on the other side, Lawson was 14 months old and he was still breastfeeding. And so here I Mm -hmm. am. And I don't know up from down. I don't know what day it is. I don't know what time it is. And everyone in the house is checking in on me. Hey, when does Lawson need to be fed? Um, Is it time for you to breastfeed him? You know, um, and it's like, what time is it? Yeah. I had so many different thoughts and emotions and feelings. It's like this on one end. I didn't think I was going to live. On the other end, I was like, here's my son. Like I have to live Mm -hmm. and I don't have a choice and what next? And just so many emotions. And I remember my mom falling to sleep with me that night in our bed and Mm -hmm. waking up the next morning and just thinking like, I'm going to turn over and it's going to be Kevin. Like this was all Mm -hmm. just this insane, horrendous nightmare and it's not real. And I remember turning over and it was my mom and just like thinking I was going to throw up Mm -hmm. and she just looked at me and she said, I'm so sorry. And just started rubbing my head. And it was like, I just remember saying like, when is this pain going to go away? I'm in so much pain. I don't, I like, I don't think I'm going to be able to survive this.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's brutal. It's brutal.
0: It really, really is. I know I brought tissues. I'm like, I'm not going to cry through this episode. <laughs> i totally got this. And um,
1: brings up so much.
0: How um, has it been, you know, raising your son? Or for anybody who's experiencing loss after, you know, their, their spouse has passed, who have children, what is, you know, what was that experience
1: like and how is that, you know, today for you? Oh, gosh. Um, I will be brutally honest, because I don't think that this is shared enough. It was so challenging. And I've spoken to, as you well know, I have built this very large community of widows online. And I mean, I have spoken to thousands of young widowed mothers, and so many of them echo the same sentiment. And when we say that, We didn't think that we were going to do this alone. And if we had signed up for this, we wouldn't have done it. And it it sounds so horrible to even say that because we're never – true. We're never – we never want to say like, oh, we don't want our children. We do. Like I would (laughs) – I would never take back that life that I have with Lawson. But when you are in the depths of grief and then you're now thrust into becoming a solo parent, it is the most challenging – difficult experience. I was probably such a nasty mother to Lawson for, you know, a good few months, six months, even maybe I remember getting therapy and trying to figure out how, because he's grieving too. And, and he was expressing it so much differently than me. So he had sleep regression. He was waking up every two hours in the night and he was clinging to me and he was so needy and here I am needing space and time to myself and I'm in so much pain and the last thing I want to do is have to take care of anyone else Mm -hmm. and you're forced to. Kevin was my calm. I was always a little bit more of the impatient one. So here I am trying to figure out I'm sleep deprived. I'm grieving. I'm with an infant still he's dealing with all of his feelings and not knowing how to express them. And so they're coming out, you know, in like physical manifestations and, and just like temperament and all sorts of things. And I was just like, white flag, this is so hard. And I think again, like I said, so many widows that I've spoken to have felt the same way, but feel that they can't say it to anyone other than their widow community because you would just be, you know, people would look at you in shock or, or dismay that you would even say something like that. But it's like, my goodness gracious, when you plan to have children, most people plan to have children, you're doing it with someone. And Kevin and I were 100% in partnership in our decision to create a family and have children and to do everything together. And Kevin, what he, His love language was acts of service. And so he was someone too that just played that father role so amazingly well, would wake up in the middle of the night to help me get Lawson, would wake up early so that I could get a little extra sleep. And he would take Lawson into the kitchen and play with him early in the morning and would take him to daycare when I was in my master's program, pick him up from daycare, make us dinner and do so many things. And here I am. And it's like, I don't have that. I don't know where to begin. I don't know, like there's a checklist of things that you're, you're supposed to be doing as well after, you know, someone dies and you're trying to still just keep food in your child's mouth and make sure that they're taken care of. And it was an extremely daunting experience. And I didn't even do it alone. I had my mom and my sister and like five super good friends create a Google calendar and spend the night with me for the first four months after Kevin died. And Mm -hmm. still, even then Lawson needed me. So really all they could do was try their best to help keep the house clean and like support me where they could and sit with me at night after Lawson had fallen asleep just so that I could cry and talk to someone and mm-hmm. share how lonely it was and all of those things. But um it was not an easy journey. And it's still not an easy journey. I'm still not a patient person. I'm learning. Uh Lawson is a three major right now. He mm-hmm. is three and a half and he, Kevin and I are were both stubborn people. So he is just that wonderful mixture. <laughs> Yes. uh, Yes. Is made of fire. So that experience has been extremely humbling. It's beautiful. And I look back and I wish that I had been more present in these past few years. And I don't blame myself. I try to give a lot of grace, but um, he's grown up, you know, just in the blink of an eye. And I do feel that I've missed out on a lot because of my grief experience and just feeling the need to heal myself.
0: Yeah. Which I mean, is I think so normal and it's, you know, survival mode because if you aren't able to heal yourself or to do all those things then there's no mother to show up. Right. So I think it is such a tricky thing to balance. Um and thank you for being honest on that because I think a lot of people probably have those similar thoughts and don't want to say anything. Yeah. Um so I know you kind of touched on your community so I want to just I want to hop into that cuz I'd love for you to share that. When I had experienced loss, you know, I was 21. I wasn't married. I didn't have any kids, you know, and I didn't know a lot of people who had done that. And I wish so badly that I had had the community that you have built and cultivated. So it's called, what is it called? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're friends. Yes. I'm sorry. We're friends. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about that. And then can you also speak to just sort of your mission with sort of normalizing grief?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the day after Kevin died, I got a text message from a woman named Ashley Iverson, whose husband had perished in the Thomas fire a year or two years previous to Kevin dying, and um, was a widow who was very well known in in San Diego County, her husband's death was all over the news. Um, and she was pregnant at the time with their second baby. Mm -hmm. And I remember when he, when Corey died, just being like, I, I, I can't imagine, right. The infamous Mm -hmm. words, I can't imagine what that Mm -hmm. life would be like. So she texts me and she said her name and I instantly knew who she was. And she said, are you breathing? And I remember Mm -hmm. being like, again, just same thing, like feeling claustrophobic in my own body. That question, are you breathing? It seems so common sense to people that don't understand it, but it was like, I was legitimately having to tell myself that I needed to breathe. And here's this woman. And all of a sudden she's asking this question that no one else would get. And I'm like, you're my person. Like you get this. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, through her and very quickly other widows that reached out to me, um, Amanda Griffiths, who lost her father, her husband, and her brother-in-law in a plane crash, and then um, Shanna Creza, whose husband died the same way as Kevin on his mountain bike um, by a, an intoxicated driver. They all three had reached out to me within probably like 48, 72 hours after Kevin died, and that impact that it made. And just knowing that there are other people who are further out than me that are alive that are telling me like this is the worst thing ever this is shit this is so unfair and it was right before Thanksgiving and it was Kevin's favorite holiday and they're like this is what's going to happen to you next like you're not going to remember these first holidays and everyone's going to want to be around you and this that and the other thing so um, Shanna and I developed a relationship really quickly and she lives up in the Orange County area. And so probably like a two weeks, three weeks after Kevin was killed, she and I met in San Clemente for a coffee and just to like share our tears and our sadness and our heartache yeah. for our situations. And when we left, she hugged me and she said, I'm really sorry we're friends. And I remember instantly being like, that's rude. <laughs> like, yeah. um, you're sorry we're friends. And then I got in the car and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is it. Like, I am sorry that we are here. I am sorry mm-hmm. that we know this pain. And I totally get what she's saying. Like, we don't want to know each other. We don't. Yeah, like, we're, we're so lucky to know each other. We're so Grateful to have one another to bounce all these insane thoughts off of, but like we want our person back. And so we are sorry that either one of us are friends with each other and that we know this life. And so I sat with that for a few months. And then I believe it was like April of 2020. I decided that there wasn't a lot of community for Uh grievers. Um, there, I had tried to go to like a grief support group through my health insurance and it was just not a, a, the right fit. Um, everyone that was there was, you know, in their, their seventies, their eighties, they had lost their spouse, which in, in its own right is horrible, but I just yes. didn't have those connections. Right. And,
0: yes. You're not and I, at the same stage of right, life. It's right. a different, totally yeah. different
1: experience. And so, And I also felt like there was such a misunderstanding. I felt that really quickly on, like people don't understand grief and we all grieve. This is insane that Mm -hmm. we are so stunted in our community and like in the things that we say. I mean, I had people saying, you know, like everything happens for a reason. God needed him more, Um, you know, just stuff where you're just like, wow, like that's not what you say to someone who just lost their person who was beautiful, healthy, 30. six year old man and no one needed him more than me and his 14 month old son who was just enamored with him. Like what, how do you, what, this doesn't make sense. So yeah. Anyways, um, I decided, you know, to just kind of dabble with the intention of just creating community, creating resources on my page. So I had started reading some really valuable valuable books. I had found a woman named Megan Devine, who was also a widow, who had wrote in the who uh, wrote in, <laughs> who had written the book. Um, it's okay that you're not okay. And and Sarah Nanan, who same thing, widow. Um. And she had a wonderful book out there. And so I just started kind of slowly introducing myself, what had happened to me and to Kevin. And then like I would do these little book reviews and I would, you know, do stuff like that. And um, very, very slowly it kind of just picked up and people kind of caught on that this was going to be a space where they could – message me and talk to me. I started to meet a ton of young widows that lived locally in San Diego County. We started getting together and gathering. And um, I did, I wrote an article for, oh my gosh, I am uh, love what matters. And when they, when they posted that article, I got a ton of More followers who, again, just felt that same need to connect with other grievers who really understood and felt like, wow, this, you know, we just don't have this. And a lot of people in the UK, a lot of widows from the UK were like, we have no resources here. And so Mm -hmm. just started to slowly build and, um, you know, ended up being what it is today and actually we can talk about that too because it's kind of evolved and shifted and changed today as well but in the beginning it was just um it was something for me it was so healing it, I wanted to be there for others I wanted to give resources to people um and come together and talk and meet and just you know share the ugly and the, the good and all of it that came out of a losing a partner mm-hmm
0: I know. I think that it is such a beautiful, beautiful thing that you've cultivated because the need is there. And I know I've said this several times, but grief is something that losing somebody is just something that nobody and no nothing can prepare you for that feeling. And it feels very alone. Mm-hmm. And I just remember for me, it was, you know, this feeling of people carrying on with their lives after yeah. a while, and yeah. you're not ready to freaking do that. No. And you've almost feel like it's invalid. It's not validating how you're still continuing to feel. And so you sort of like get lost in your feelings, like should you should be moving on or get happier, all these things. And so I think it's a beautiful space for women to, just commiserate and to find joy. And whether you're in the beginning stages of grief or the later stages of grief, it's something where everybody has a place. Um, What advice would you give to a spouse who has newly lost their partner?
1: I would say feel it all and give yourself grace I think one of the biggest things that we do is try to resist we resist the pain that grief brings because it's so harsh and it's like you said in the beginning it's so violent um it is it is a all-encompassing feeling mind body soul everything and so you know, like you said, we all have a tendency to numb it out, um, whether that be drinking or eating or exercising or sleeping or whatever it may be, because we don't want to feel it. And I don't remember, might've been Megan Divine, but there was someone that I read about that was said, grief will find you. It'll find you three yes. months from now, three years from now, 30 years from now. Um, and it's so true. I have some very close friends, a very close friend of mine who just lost her husband in September of last year and i would say girl like fall to the floor i fell to the floor i screamed i kicked i cried i i was angry i would laugh hysterically i would you know be mad at kevin and, and for feeling abandoned and all these humongous feelings that grief brings us, but like you have to move through those to, to start to heal. If you bottle that up, if you ignore it, if you don't talk about your person and you just shove it all down, I think that, um, in the end it doesn't serve you. Um, you know, there's no judgment here. That's another thing. So if you do drink, if you do, I remember, (laughs) uh, January came so quickly after Kevin died. And I had a couple friends say like, oh, it's going to be a dry January. And I was like, like, hell <laughs> to the no, like, girl. That's funny because it's not going to be a dry January for me. And honestly, I mean, I don't feel that I overdrink, but I definitely had a glass or two of wine every single night because I was like, listen, like this is how I'm coping right now. Okay. yeah, I, I don't want to go to bed without my husband. And yeah. I don't want to live this. I didn't want to live this life. I did not want to live it. And, yeah. um, I knew that that wasn't a solution in the end, but I knew that it was going to help me temporarily. And so that's what I did. And also, you know, seek community, seek like expert advice. I went to therapy, um, especially when you lose someone traumatically,
0: there's mm-hmm. a lot that
1: you have to process. I, and I'm still dealing with this to be completely honest. Um, When someone is killed the way that Kevin was killed and even the way that Chris was killed and um, after they die, their body isn't the same as it was before or when you last saw them Mm -hmm. and someone has actually violated their body, um, that in itself is a whole other layer to grief that you have to process. And actually, I didn't process that in the beginning and I didn't even – know that I needed to until I went to this like trauma-informed seminar where Mm -hmm. this woman was explaining like absolutely there is this anger that you that some people hold on to and I definitely was holding on to the fact that this horrible person who didn't deserve to even be on this planet for so many reasons Mm -hmm. stole my husband's life and his body. And, and just, like I said, the only real word that I could use is just violation violated Mm -hmm. him in such a way that, um, Oh, just makes you sick. It still makes me sick when I think about it sometimes. Um, it's different now, but yeah, I had to process all that too. And so I think, you know, there's so many things in that community that understands people that understand, find someone who will, if you have children, take your kiddos for a while and just give yourself a break. It, you don't want to, and it may even be scary. You may be, and I know you and I have talked about this, Natalie, about like leaving our children with other people because of our experience of you yes know, of not having ha- to say goodbye and all those things, but um. Mm-hmm. It's uh it's one of the things that just served me so well being able to like go to the beach by myself and talk to Kevin or go get a massage because I hadn't been touched in, you know, 6 months by my husband at all. No hugs, yeah. no rubs, no nothing and you feel this sense of guilt that they don't get to experience this life but then at the same time like you're letting a little bit of joy and comfort come back into your life that you so desperately need.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes. I think it's so true. You know what you said about the trauma and I, you know, I didn't ever really think about that until I took, I was in therapy, you know, many, many years later after Chris passed away and I was a mom and I had the, the worst anxiety. I wouldn't allow Jack, my first, my oldest son, to be driven in the car by anybody because I wouldn't allow him to be away from me. I had to go to therapy to get him to go to preschool, and um, he was three before I was ever away from him for 24 hours, and right. it was the trauma of going to bed as one person with somebody you love and then waking up and your life's completely different. Right, And it's, I just know having, you know, and I know you know this too, or anybody who's experienced a sudden loss and a tragic accident of somebody, things can change so quickly. And so I am probably a little neurotic as a parent, but I just know the pain Mm
1: -hmm.
0: that an experience like that, you know, so I, I, yeah, it took me a while and it took me many years later to realize that that was trauma from losing Chris in the way that I did, that transpired into how I was was now as a mother, remarried and, you know, well, not remarried, but married and with with children. And so right. I think it is important to seek that necessary help for that. And I know that you honor Kevin still to this day and, you know, you the community, you could just tell he was so incredibly loved after he passed with the beer glasses and the stickers and the riding gear and, you know, the, real, the community that came out and just rallied behind you as his wife, but also to celebrate and continue the legacy of his life. And um, you've done such a beautiful job at that. And um, how do you think or how do you continue to sort of keep his memory alive with your son as well?
1: thank you for that. Um, it means more than you know. Oh,
0: my God. Yes. it was. I mean, it's beautiful. I really am in awe of you in so many ways.
1: We laugh because Kevin was an extremely humble person mm-hmm. who didn't even like his birthday celebrated. So when everyone, you know, when his good friends are making this lenses more mountain biking gear and doing all these things for him, like you said, the beer glasses and yes. they have a ride in his, they actually have a couple rides in his honor and all sorts of things. I'm like, he has got to be just like looking down. Like you guys are a bunch of clowns continue yes. on with your life. Stop doing this. Stop making a big deal. Mm-hmm. You no, know, but, um, it's so, so incredibly important to me, um, that, Kevin doesn't die twice. And when I say that, what I mean is that um, I want people to be able to say his name forever. Um, That changes. That looks a lot different. But I don't want people to be scared to talk about him. I want people to talk about him. I want people to share stories about him. Um, We had a book made uh, over a hundred stories and one will be for Lawson. I'm going to be creating a Memory book for Lawson with all the pictures that we had of Lawson and Kevin. Um, we have videos. I try to show him videos. Um, you know, death is such a um, abstract concept. I think for all of us, but especially for children. So I try to give him something concrete. So we say that Daddy is on the moon, and we howl at the moon, and he tells Daddy about his day and shares stories. And like for example, he even has like a NASA sweater on today, and he's like, "This rocket could take me to the moon to see Daddy." So, um, he's very much still connected to him. This morning, he wanted cookies with M and M's, and all of a sudden, he started to like chocolate. And Kevin was a chocolate fiend. He would hide chocolate from me because I also like chocolate. So he would like put it up high enough that I couldn't see it because oh my gosh, that much more. So just like these little things, and I said, I would, I'll tell him like, "Oh my gosh, you're turning into Daddy. Daddy loved chocolate and." wanted his mommy to make him cookies like you want grandma lens to make you cookies now. But um, we had a memorial bench installed for Kevin up at one of his favorite riding spots. So people get to ride up there. We hike up there a lot, um, you know, to visit him. I've spread his ashes in some of the places that He loved the most. Um, Sedona was a huge mountain bike festival that he just he felt Sedona was like a second home. Santa Barbara, I loved Santa Barbara, and we kind of took a pause because COVID happened, and yeah, that's really spun some things around. But um, you know, I I just try to replicate some of the things that I feel like would make me connect to Kevin. Like I was just telling a friend the other day that. Kevin and I and I mentioned to you earlier that one of Kevin's biggest love languages was acts of service and so he was always the type of person that would be like oh you've had a tough day let me make dinner or he would just clean up the house unprompted or take out the trash and would just always ask you like what you need like all of us girls would come home from a wine night you know and he'd be like making us quesadillas or burritos or whatever yeah us up and so um something that i think i just started doing unconsciously in a way to honor him was to turn that into a love language of mine as well because that was not something i i definitely took advantage of the fact that he loved to bring coffees in the morning and liked to clean and cook and so um it's something that i recognized a while ago like oh wow i think this is an unconscious way of me continuing to you know, honor that space and that love Mm -hmm. that I had for him um, because I so enjoy doing things for other people in a way that did not bring me joy before he died. Um, But, you know, yeah. And it's the constant sharing of stories. Um, I started dating someone six months ago and, you know, I made it very clear from the beginning that um, Kevin will always be talked about and loved and he will always be Lawson's father and there will always be pictures. And, you know, someone that's going to love me eventually is going to have to kind of have that understanding and probably a little extra confidence to know that I will have space and make space for two loves in my heart. um, He'll always be there. Right. And his life was taken from him unfairly and, Um, We will everyone will always miss him. He was dearly loved, as you you said, you know, um, hundreds and hundreds of people attended his memorial and um, just have shared over the years that the, the impact that he's made that I don't even think he realized he made on people while he was here. But um, yeah, just carrying him forward because, you know, we have this misunderstanding that we have to move on. And I think that that was another thing that I wanted to make very clear on my page was that we don't move on, we move forward. And in mm-hmm. doing so, we have the ability and capacity if we want to, to have them move forward with us. And it doesn't look the same, but we, we can still honor that space for them.
0: Yes. I love that you said that. And I think that that's so important. And I think that that gives people this space to say, I can, you know, because I think it is so true culturally too. It's like, okay, you have to move on and life has to look different. And um, I think that is really beautiful, the idea of carrying them with you. Yes, it looks differently because, you know, maybe eventually you move on, you get remarried, all those types of things. So I know you mentioned that you were dating somebody, but what does the future look like for you and for Lawson moving forward, do you think?
1: when Kevin died – I was 34 and I remember very quickly saying, I can't not be loved again. I can't not, you know, mm-hmm. have love in my life. Like how miserable. And that, again, this is just a personal thing, right? Like yes. for me, I was like, there's just no way. Like I always wanted to be a wife. I never thought that I wouldn't be a wife. Um, I wanted Lawson to have a father. And so all of a sudden – I was thrust into this role of solo parent and widow and these roles, I should say. And I knew that somewhere down the line, I would want to love someone and make space for someone. And I would want Lawson to have a father figure in his life. Um, And it took a long time. I wasn't even willing to open that door until about two years after Kevin died and And even still, it was um, not something that I was willingly doing. I was introduced to my now boyfriend through another widow. And originally she had said, is it okay if I give him your phone number? And I was like, no. (laughs) And then like two days later, she texts me. She's like, please don't hate me. But I sent a picture of you to him and he wants to take you on a date. And you've been saying you miss companionship. Like, come on, let's just do it. And so it's like, okay, here I go. You know? And, um, it's been a, uh, just a breath of fresh air. It's been something that I didn't know I needed. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's been hard And it's been amazing and all the things in between. It's brought out a lot of different grief in me. Um, And it's actually brought out some more anger sometimes – which can be hard to express, but like when things are difficult in my new relationship, sometimes I'll get mad at Kevin. I'm like, ah, if you were just here, like I wouldn't have to deal with these things. So it's like, it's so crazy. Again, like I said, grief brings out a duality of emotions that I don't think many people have to experience if they haven't experienced something like this. But, um, but it's also, given me a new lens I remember my girlfriend Amanda when when Kevin first died telling me like you have a whole new lens on life and you don't see it yet because you're just in the trenches but like eventually you will and I love harder everyone I love everyone harder I love deeper I am more intentional with my words and what I say and what I do and how I live my life um I'm not perfect. I still actually suffer from a lot of anxiety. And just like you said, um, I don't think that that's something that's talked about as well, the suffering of anxiety and the fear of loss of other people around you. But I have that too, you know, and I'm still working through that. But I have come to a space where I can say that life is good and life is beautiful and it isn't what I thought it was going to be. And it doesn't look the way that I was – hoping it would, but I'm making it look beautiful in a different way. And I'm, um, you know, Lawson is going to just be surrounded by people who love him. And he'll have a lot of father figures, I believe. Um, he just has had so many people show up for him. And, and I've had so many people show up for me. But I think, you know, I would say that for all of those people who will be listening, especially that are new to this world, it's like, you don't think that you're going to ever get out of the darkness, and you do, and your grief evolves, and it becomes lighter, and it shifts, and it changes, and you still have moments, but they 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 don't last as long, and they're not as heavy as they were in the beginning. Um, and again, that brings up other different types of emotions, because sometimes you feel like you're losing touch with that person, which can also be very scary, um, but you know, I mean that's kind of the long-winded version, but I I don't know. I I know that I want love. I know that I want to give love. I know that I want to have a good, you know, beautiful, valuable life for however long that I'm here. Um, And whatever comes our way, because I've set that for us, um, I'm open to.
0: Thank you so, so much. That was a beautiful answer. And I just – Feel so indebted to you for sharing your story and sharing this space because I think it's such an important conversation that so many women can feel so alone in. And so, where can we find you on the web? Where <laughs> what's your Instagram? Yeah, so for? the
1: Instagram handle is I'm sorry, we're friends. And right. um, yeah, that I have that. I don't have a Facebook, and and like I said, it has shifted a little bit because. And that's a whole other conversation, but I I am in a different position in education now. And because I'm dating someone and because I'm raising a little three and a half year old and life is insane, um, my I'm not on Instagram as frequently writing like I used to, but I am on in the sense that I always message people back. Um, If they need resources and reach out, I provide those things still. I just am not posting as often as I used to. And I hope to get back to a space, especially when summer hits and I get a little break to be able to do stuff like that again, because writing has provided, oh gosh, such um, healing for me. But Uh yeah, that is where you can find me on there. Uh, Good. And I'll
0: link... And I'll link to all of that in the show notes as well. Okay. Well, I just love you so much. I've been silently crying through the whole thing because <sighs> I mean obviously uh-huh. I know you I know you in in real life, and I just thank you so much for your vulnerability, and you're just so strong and wonderful and Lawson is just so incredibly lucky to have you as his mom
1: thank you and thank you I I know you may not even remember I'm sure you do but you were one of the first people at my door when Kevin died with arms wide open and tears and all the things and I remember just holding on to you and having you be a part of that life vest as well because I knew you had experienced such a a deep loss and um, you were someone who guided me as well so you know thank you I don't think that you realize the, the impact that you made in my life.